Talk of the Town with Lisa Kay. Middays on KTOE. Hey, back on KTOE. It's Lisa Kay. 12 minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks for hanging out with me. About 43 degrees over Radio Mankato right now and looking for a little bit of a climb. I said they about 58 degrees on the high side. And uh, who are we in Minnesota if we're not talking about the weather? We talked about it with the Master Gardeners a little bit yesterday and how it's going to affect things in our yard, which prompts the conversation today. And today our guest is Lee Freilich. Lee is the director of the University of Minnesota Center for Forest Ecology. He's got his PhD in forest ecology and is an author and apparently listed among the top 1% of all scientists in the world in the ecology and environment category by the Web of Science. We're glad to have Lee with us on the phone today. How are you doing, Lee? I'm doing really good, Lisa, and it's nice to be with you. Well, thank you so much. Joining me from my alma mater, the University of Minnesota, although I wasn't on that particular uh, side of campus. I was more on the East Bank. So uh, beautiful weather that we're having. A lot of people are not uh, not happy about this because we're supposed to be covered in snow. And then I've had some people say, oh, just wait. March Madness is right around the corner. That's when we're going to get the snow. We always get snow in April. Remember that? Was we've had all those conversations. But I think over Overall, climate-wise, it's just been really scary warm for some of us. Yeah, I think that's the case. Um, This winter is tracking to be the warmest winter on record. And yeah, it's just bizarre to go through January and February with only a day or two of snow cover. And so when you are working, do you mainly work with forests or are you are you focusing or do you work, look at the trees in our residential neighborhoods and things like that? Yeah, I study forests um, and everything from the wildfires and windstorms in the Boundary Waters to urban trees. I actually live in a downtown Minneapolis neighborhood where every tree is important. And uh, I do a lot of work with urban trees as well as as um, rural forests and remote wilderness areas. So, Wei, what are you seeing uh, as far as where you live? And probably it's pretty similar to the trees in our city where we live. We had a little conversation yesterday about, um, you know, hopefully people have been watering new trees and things like that. But getting them ready for this, the cold that never came. What happens to a tree in the wintertime? What happens to its roots? Well, they they do go dormant even at temperatures that are like a refrigerator, you know, a little bit above freezing, which we've had for most of the winter. So in terms of the trees actually going dormant and getting their chilling requirement, they need a certain amount of cold before they're ready to leaf out. I think they've had that, so that's not a concern. But I'm getting a little bit worried about uh, the possibility that they lo- might leaf out too early. It looks like the buds are starting to expand a little too early and then get frozen later. And then the other issue with a really warm winter with no snow is that the soils can actually get colder even though it's a warmer winter because snow is such a good insulator and cold winters usually have a lot of snow. And uh, So the roots of the fine roots of trees that actually absorb water and nutrients are in about the top foot of soil and it's like a mat going out for 
you know, maybe at least as far as the crown or maybe even twice that for some species of trees. Hmm. And that zone can actually get really cold in a in a warm winter with no snow. Uh, so when you combine that with the drought we've had the last couple summers and the damage to the roots that did, and now, you know, we have these cold soil temperatures and the trees don't know when to leaf out. It's kind of like confusion. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like this before, so I can't tell you what's going to happen. What do you do as a scientist then? Are you, are you uh, watching and taking note of all of this? Are you, are you writing things down just so you can go through it with some research? Yes, um, I am doing that. And, you know, I, I also made note of some of the previous early springs, like 2012. You might remember it was in the 80s in southern Minnesota, the second and third week of March. And it even got into the 60s and 70s in northern Minnesota. And a lot of trees did leaf out too early or flower too early like some apple trees started to flower too early and then the flowers froze in a late spring frost in the boundary waters the the pine and spruce trees and fir trees came out of dormancy too early so that they had no cold resistant and then it got back down in the 20s again and their needles all turned brown over thousands of square miles in northern minnesota and ontario um, so yeah, these these early springs are something that our tree species are not really adapted to. So um, it's very challenging. From what I'm understanding, then, is that it's not so much the it's not so much the lack of of the cold temperatures, but it's the, uh, the possibility of it getting cold after they come out of their dormancy. That- yep. And is that yep. like a winter kill situation when we see, when you talk about this, the colder soil temperatures and those those fine roots that are so far underneath the, well, not more shallow, I guess, than I realized underneath the ground, those roots can freeze then. Yeah. Uh, and roots are nowhere near as resistant to cold temperatures as the above ground part of the tree. Uh, a tree that's in dormancy for the winter in Minnesota, the top part of the tree can probably go down to 40 or even 45 below zero. Um, And in northern Minnesota, even 60 below zero without being damaged very much. Um, But roots will be damaged if it gets down to about 20 degrees in that top foot of soil. So if you have a period without much snow cover, and a week or two of very cold temperatures, you can easily get root damage. This happened in the spring of 2014. Hmm. Um, In addition to that, high winds. um, You might remember last April, we had a period of very high winds, like 25 out of the 30 days in April had 35 to 40 mile an hour winds, Mm -hmm. which was evaporating water from the top parts of especially evergreens. Well, the roots were still frozen or or still dormant, um, and you, then you get a lot of winter kill. Um, so winter kill is kind of roots are frozen too cold, and there's desiccation from wind, and it might be exacerbated if there was drought damage to the roots the previous summer. 
Um, and then there's this other danger that trees will come out of dormancy too early and then be frozen by a, by a spring frost. Sure. Is winter kill survivable for any, is it just a certain part of the tree or is it the whole tree? Well, in, in some trees, it'll just be the tips of the twigs, and they'll actually sprout from lower down. And I've seen that on catalpa trees from time to time. I've seen it on mulberry trees. Um, and even on oak trees or maple trees, if we had a drought the summer before and and then a period of without snow in the winter. But for the evergreens, if an evergreen turns totally brown, uh, you know, it's very likely to die. Mm. And, and of course, trees that have been planted recently in the last several years are also more likely to die from any of these situations because they haven't gotten to the point in their life cycle where they can store up extra energy in case something bad happens. So newly planted trees that weren't watered last summer, if they didn't die from the drought, you know, they would be way more susceptible to any of these problems. We're going to take a quick break, Lee, and come back. I want to ask some questions about, we have uh, this in our area, I'm sure you do up uh, in the cities as well, but pockets of the emerald ash borer and some uh, insects that might be living underground right now and what might happen to them or what might not happen to them. And we'll find out uh, what you think about all of that. Just hang on just a few minutes here for me. We'll take a quick break. We are chatting with Lee Freilich today, and Lee is from the University of Minnesota, the Center for Forest Ecology here on KTOE. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation here on KTOE with Lee Freilich from the University of Minnesota. And uh, he is the director for the Center for Forest Ecology. And uh, we're talking all about the weather and its effect on our trees, what we can expect, which we really don't know what to expect yet. Lee, thanks for hanging out with us here. Um, But my question before the break was about some of those insects that overwinter in our soils and what can happen or not happen. What are the pros and cons of this weather for those insects? So um, there are some insects in the soil that we consider to be pests like the Japanese beetle, you know, which hatches into the the grubs that eat your lawn and then and then it becomes a beetle at midsummer that eats the leaves of trees, especially um, basswood or, or linden trees seem to be one of their favorite. Um, a winter without snow could be hard on them, which is a good thing. Um, and um, on the other hand, well, look at the emerald ash borer, too, uh, which is a pest that's killing our ash trees, in, especially in southern and central Minnesota. And one thing I noticed after the polar vortex of 2019 is that some of the ash trees in the Twin Cities that had a mostly dead crown grew a new crown after that winter and you might remember we had those extreme cold temperatures where it was 25 or 30 below zero at night and the high of 10 or 15 below during the day for two or three days there and what happened for those particular trees is it killed the insects and they re-sprouted new crowns so in that sense extreme cold can be kind of a good thing Hmm. Um, and obviously we're not getting anything anywhere near that this winter 
so it's not going to kill off the emerald ash borer um, anywhere in Minnesota with temperatures we've had this winter. There's also an impact on the elm bark beetle, which is a beetle that transfers the Dutch elm disease fungus from one tree to another. And um, in the old days, when we had very cold temperatures every winter, their, their populations were very limited. And there's, I don't think they're going to have any mortality this winter at all. It's, it's just been so mild. So um, maybe it'd be nice to have an old-fashioned standard Minnesota winter one of these years. <laughs> right, right. And with the, um, the insects harming our trees like that, I've had uh, conversations with some arborists uh, about this as well. The importance of uh, reminding us maybe about the diversity of trees that we plant. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think a diversity of trees is really good because if you have all one species like we did in the 1960s and 70s, most cities had almost all elms. And then the Dutch elm disease came through and we lost so much of our our urban tree canopy. And then they planted ash and <laughs> now the ash are being taken out. So yeah, having a diversity is good. In Minneapolis, the park board is actually planting 60 different species now. So no matter what the climate throws at us or what insect pests or diseases arrive in the future, it, not going to take them all out. Um, So it's like insurance against another big tree pandemic like Dutch elm disease or emerald ash borer. Right. Live and learn. I know that the city of North Mankato down here was just offering their residents a choice between, I went, I was at like four or six different types of trees. I'm assuming that that's also in uh, that vicinity of trying to get more diversity of trees into the city. So... Uh, that's a good thing. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the fire of it's fire season, mm-hmm. and we know now. Yesterday, I did a story on um, the smoke that we are seeing here in Minnesota coming out of Texas. Uh, but you're saying this is really early. Yeah, I don't remember seeing smoke plumes in in late February and early March in Minnesota. In the past, and of course, that fire in Texas is huge. It's the biggest fire in their recorded history in Texas, like up to 1,700 square miles now, which is the size of the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Wow. I mean, that is huge, and the amount of smoke that would generate is is huge. Um, so, yeah, these really early springs that we're getting with a warmer climate, especially with low snow, means a better chance for a severe early spring fire season and that's because the fuels on the forest floor aren't packed down like they usually are when you have a deep snowpack that's heavy mm-hmm. and so they dry out earlier in the spring and the snow melts earlier if there's not as much of it and then it warms up earlier because whether you have snow or not makes a 10 degree difference in temperatures so Um, You can have a very early warm season, and if you get a day with low humidity and high winds with all those dry fuels that weren't wetted down and the trees didn't soak up a lot of water because there wasn't much snow melt, you can get a heck of a spring wildfire, and that's already happened in Texas. There's a red flag warning up for high fire danger today in Iowa. 
Oh, I didn't even read that one yet. I suppose I should check the news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Iowa usually has snow into early March. And yeah, right. I mean, this is, it's just so amazing. Um, this winter's kind of like a time machine that shows us what a typical winter might be like 40 years from now if we continue to warm like we have been. Lee, you're going to stick with us uh, on the back half of the hour. and We're going to ask some more questions. I, want, I do have some questions about the hardiness zone because that has changed and that uh, interests me quite a bit uh, and, and what's going to be happening because of that. So thanks for sticking around with me. We'll be right back. Lee Freilich, the director of the University of Minnesota Center for Forest Ecology, on the phone with us here. It's KTOE. Our guest today here is Lee Freilich. He's the director of the University of Minnesota Center for Forest Ecology. And before the break, you and I were talking a little bit about the hardiness zones, and we've recently kind of changed hardiness zones in our, our, is it, was it the state of Minnesota or just our area? Well, the whole state, you know, the northern Minnesota used to be in two and three, and now it's, it's three and four, and southern Minnesota used to be zone four, um, and now it's zone five, so the Twin Cities are in zone five now. And the rest, so is the rest of southern Minnesota, either 5A or 5B, which is slightly warmer than 5A. But you have to remember that 40 or 50 years ago, Zone 4 was essentially confined to Iowa. Mm. So, um, so they're inching north every time there's an update. But over 40 or 50 years, it's like 80 to 100 miles that all of these hardiness zones have moved um, northward. Now, is that going to affect our trees? Well, yes, and partly because of what we talked about before the break, where it won't get cold enough to kill some of the insects. On the other hand, there are some species of trees that we can now grow in Minnesota that we couldn't uh, before, or trees that had some damage before that don't have damage anymore. Um, there's some interesting experiments going on at the, the University of Minnesota Arboretum um, in Chaska, which is the southern part of the metro area, and they have a whole bunch of tree species that are native to Iowa, things like scarlet oak and um, blackjack oak, and, um, and they're actually surviving there, and they even survived the polar vortex in 2019, so... Those are species of trees that we might be able to start growing in southern Minnesota um, as soon as nurseries, you know, decide that they're things that they might want to sell. Um, actually, honey locust, if you look at it historically, it was confined to Iowa in just one county in southeastern Minnesota, and we've already started to plant honey locusts much more widely because it turned out that it was not limited by winter cold like a lot of the northern edge of a lot of tree species range is limited by winter cold that was not the case for honey locust and it turned out you didn't even have to look at the hardiness zone because you know you could plant it in minnesota even 40 years ago um 
so it's not always the winter cold that limits a tree, but in a lot of cases it is, and so the hardiness zone tells you whether you can plant certain species of trees in some cases. Interesting to watch and see what we can change and, and how how that might affect us uh, here in yeah, southern Minnesota all the way up. Of people would like to see a Japanese maple. Mm-hmm. You know, those beautiful little kind of dwarf trees with the leaves that look like the, your hand with the five leaflets. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Um, but it's been a problem to try to find a, a Japanese maple that will grow in Minnesota. Um, so it's not quite hardy yet, although I've seen a few of them in special places, like when they're c- surrounded by a building and they put a cover over them in the winter. Mm-hmm. But um, they're even with the warmer temperatures we have now, it's not quite warm enough to, to plant them more widely. So, um, you know, you just need to all the things that you'd like to be able to plant, you need to watch and and see um, if the climate warms up enough that we could start using them. So, Lee, I was looking at some of the work that you do for the University of Minnesota. I know that you are doing some studying of earthworm invasion. I asked you this question off air. Invasion of earthworms? What are we talking about? And you said that there are no native earthworms here. They're all from somewhere else. And I thought our worms are from somewhere else? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Our earthworms are mostly European species like the nightcrawler and the what people call the angleworms, which are the ones that don't have the the um, pigment like nightcrawlers have, uh, are all from Europe. And we did have worms in Minnesota soils, but there are other types of worms other than earthworms. Mm-hmm. And a lot of beetles and other things, of course, but there were no earthworms native to Minnesota, and they were brought over by European settlers with millions or or billions or however many potted plants people have brought over from Europe. And so they first came to metropolitan areas in the late 1800s and and then spread to farm areas. And now they're spreading into forests and wild areas through fishing bait, um, live fishing bait of earthworms. So they're found throughout the state now. There's still a few earthworm-free areas in northern Minnesota. Southern Minnesota is basically covered wall-to-wall with invasive earthworms. That's so strange. Now, invasive meaning what What damage are they doing? Because uh, as a gardener, we always look at earthworms. We're like, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Well, they can actually be a good thing in the garden because a lot of the plants people are growing are actually European plants, and so those plants co-evolved <laughs> with European earthworms. Sure. The problem comes when you look at our native plants, especially our woodland native plants, things like trilliums and lady slippers, violets, sweet sicily, all these um, plants that occur in our forests and they are not co-evolved with these earthworms and they're very negatively infected uh, or affected because the earthworms eat the the organic material which is like a mulch layer a lot of people call it the duff on the forest floor mm-hmm. that used to be several inches thick and it was like walking on a memory foam mattress and all these native plants were actually rooted in that organic material and the earthworms 
eat that and the whole standing crop of plants is killed by that, their rooting medium is literally eaten out from under them because what earthworms do for a living room is, or, a, or a living is eat um, dead organic matter. Hmm. So that's gone, the plants die, there's no seed source for them to recover. Um, so it does a lot of damage to the native woodland plants and it also removes the insulation layer, which lets soils get colder in the winter, but more importantly, warmer in the summer, as much as eight degrees warmer oh, at wow. midsummer. And that affects the tree roots because the trees now have to deal with such warm soil temperatures. And because of that warmth, the moisture evaporates. And so it's warmer and droughtier than it would be at the same time as the climate is getting warmer and droughtier. So Lee, as your research goes, is there any place in Minnesota that doesn't have those types of worms, those invasion of invasive worms? Uh, yeah, there are a few places on the North Shore and in the, the Boundary Waters and surrounding areas, there are still some places up there in northern Minnesota that have what we call leading edges of invasion. And the invasions mostly start at lake shores because up there it's mostly introduction from people who have extra live fishing bait when they're finished and they dump it on the ground. And so they're spreading from from um, boat landing sites and resorts where people who go fishing stay. And by looking at those invading fronts, we've be actually been able to learn what the impacts of the worms are by looking at the invaded area and the non-invaded area and also observing what happens when the front moves through. And we can see the disappearance of that organic material, that, that natural mulch layer. We can see the change in the plant community on the forest floor. Hmm. Um, and even the animal community has changed because when you change the plants, wildlife hmm. species live in plants as their home, right? The right. vegetation is their habitat. So it even changes the habitat for birds and for small mammals and all sorts of um, other things that live in the forest. We seem to think that earthworms are just such a part of, you know, our, our soil and our ecosystem here. There's nothing that we can do or there's nothing anybody's trying to do to get rid of them? Or <laughs> um, No, because you could poison them, but the problem is there are other native species that are still in the soil. Sure. And you don't want to kill everything that's in the soil. So we don't have something that's specific only to earthworms at this point. So there isn't a silver bullet. You can control them in one garden bed if you want to. Mm -hmm. um, but there's nothing that we could use like in a forest. Right. Because um, you wouldn't want to spread some sort of poison all through a whole forest. Hmm. That's super, super interesting. Oh, great. Great conversation with Lee Freilich today, the director of the University of Minnesota Center for Forest Ecology, listed among the top 1% of scientists in the world. I love that. And uh, I'd love to have you on again, uh, follow along with some of the research that you're doing. And want to thank you for your time today, Lee, and certainly enjoyed talking to you. Uh, thanks from all of our listeners for the information. Yeah, you, you are welcome. We will check in with you again soon, hopefully. Okay.
There you go. It's Lee Freilich from the University of Minnesota Center for Forest Ecology. Cool conversation. Lots of research happening there. So it's impressive. Glad to have him on. It's KTOE Middays with Lisa Kay.